Welcome to Park Church. We are glad uh, that you are with us this morning. We couldn't be happier. This morning we are continuing in our series that we kicked off last week. It's called Just Face It, Facing the Change That's Facing You. Uh, and just face it, there is change that is facing all of us. For a lot of us, especially uh, if we're on the younger side, there's a new year of school that's starting. Some of you are going to college for the first time or going off to college, um, starting new school. Maybe the kids are starting preschool or starting a new grade, whatever it is, and that change can be difficult. For parents, it's much of the same, right? I mean, sending a kid off to college, I haven't done it yet, but I, I, it seems terrifying to me, right? Some of us, though, are facing changes like, um, like we're getting married, we're having babies, we're having more babies, we're starting new jobs, we're moving, to somewhere, right? And those are good changes. Sometimes, sometimes those changes are also really uh, challenging, changes that we're not looking forward to. Um, things like moving when we don't want to move, or things like losing the job that we have that we like, right? Um, or losing a relationship, or a new illness that we're suddenly faced with. Um, there are changes that face all of, it, all of us, and the question that we're asking throughout this series is how will you face it? How will you face it? And what does God have to do with it? And how does faith impact the way you experience change? How does faith make it so that you can get through it differently? Or you could experience it differently? Or you can actually come to thrive in it? Last week we kicked off this series and really what we did is we put forward one idea. And the idea is this. It's that what you do now matters for how you will do later. What you do now matters for how you'll do later. If you run marathons, you know this principle, right? Um, you have to run 26.6, 28.6, 29. I've never run a marathon. Those guys have run marathons. Um, they know that uh, to run a marathon, what you do now matters for how you will do later. If you prepare now, you will do well later. If you just think you can run the marathon, and don't do anything now differently, you will not do well in that marathon. And we talked about this last Sunday. And the, and the big idea was this. Whatever change is facing you, whatever change is coming, if you can learn to do what Jesus says to do now, you will be able to build um, your house on, on a strong enough foundation so that later you can withstand any storm, any change in weather, any flood that's coming your way. And so do what Jesus calls for you to do now, and you will do well later. This morning, we're going to continue with this same basic idea, with the same basic theme, except we're going to look at it from a different perspective, a different focus, and a very different application. Whereas last week, we were talking about change that's facing us, whether we want it or not, whether we like it or not, right? Um, this week, we're going to focus on what is the change that we can make now, that we can make now, to make it so that we avoid something later that we don't want to get into. Some trouble, some danger, some disaster later down the road. Uh, and speaking of roads, that's sort of the image that I want to introduce this morning for really what this whole message is all about. We have all had the experience of driving on the Garden State Parkway. And let's pretend it's like in the summer, it's a Friday afternoon, you want to go from North Jersey and you want to make it here. There's something happening on Friday afternoon here, right? And so you want to make it all the way here. You're up around Middletown, which is, you know, an exit or two above this. You're up north of exit 109. You're coming down, and all of a sudden, you pass one of those big signs that goes across the parkway, and it says, like, you know, massive delays ahead. 
There's, there's an accident, short traffic, massive delays ahead. Exit now if you can. Take, take an alternative route, right? And then you pick up your phone and the Google machine tells you it's all red in front of you on the map, right? You see that warning and you say, oh my gosh, there is traffic ahead. And I know if I get off at the exit before, I can maybe, I can, I can maybe avoid all that traffic. I can get to where I want to go without heading right into disaster, right? We get these sort of warning signs. We get these um, red flags that tell us if you keep going the way you're going now, you are going to end up in a situation that you don't want to end up in. In the summer, it's like six hours of shore traffic. In life, it's something different. So I wonder, in your life, do you have red flags that keep popping up? Do you have red flags that keep showing up like someone is trying to warn you what you're doing isn't going to work? A red flag like you keep getting alerts from your bank saying you have no money. Like, stop, you know, stop buying things, right? That's a red flag that your spending habits and your saving habits and what you're earning, it's not really working for you, right? Another red flag, um, all of your friends are saying to you, this guy is not the guy for you. All of your friends are saying to you, this girl, I, she might look like the right choice, but she is not the right choice. If all your friends are saying it, it's a red flag that maybe you should be doing something different. If every relationship that you're in, every new situation you walk into, there's always some conflict, there's always some problem, there's always some issue that's hovering around you, and it's always someone else's fault. It's a red flag. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe there's something in here that's not working right. Another red flag, everything that you try, the new job, the new career, the new path, the new relationships, the new way, the new attitude, the new clothes, the new new, right? Anything you try, nothing is actually working. And everything is more frustrating. Everything is more it's a red flag that maybe there's something going on inside. Maybe there's something going on inside of here that needs to get ironed out, that needs to get um, fixed, changed. The message for this morning is extraordinarily simple, and I've already really given it to you. Um, if there's a red flag, if there's a sign that says massive delays ahead and you can get off the exit before you get into that traffic, get off the exit. Right? That's, that's the entire message. It's really simple to understand. However, it's not always simple to do. It's not always simple to execute. Because we all know people right, who are super smart, who are great at business, who, um, who could program the heck out of a computer, who could do this. We all know people who are super smart, and yet they just get into the worst relationships. right? Or they get stuck in these marital problems. It's like, what? How could you? And we end up saying to ourselves, how could they not see that coming? How could they not see it? Just because you know there's danger ahead, you know there's something to avoid, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be good at avoiding it. And the thing that we learned last week, we're going to bring it forward this week too, is it's not knowing what to do or believing or feeling or thinking what to do that matters as much as doing the right thing, um, as doing the thing that you need to do. And so this morning, um, what we're going to do is we're going to ask a question like, what can we do now uh, to avoid that traffic, to avoid that trouble? What could we do now to get ready for what's coming so that we could do better later? And we're going to look at a passage this morning that really generates um, insight and wisdom into this dynamic. And 
where we're going to land with this is on a question, is on a question that everyone can and should be asking for every situation in their life. We're going to generate a question, and then we're also going to generate a response. It's going to generate a response, because what we do is the thing that actually matters. This morning, we're going to look into um, a book. It's called Proverbs. Proverbs is a book that we don't look at super often here at Park Church. It's in the Old Testament, and if you've ever read it, you know what it is. If you haven't, it is what it sounds like. It's a book of Proverbs, of basically one or two sentence sayings that basically give wisdom. And if you've read it, you know that some of them are um, just super wise, and you read it, and you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is such great insight. Some of it's kind of weird and a little hard to figure out, especially to our modern ears. There's a lot of deciphering to do. Some of it's funny. Some of it's just kind of puzzling. Right? It's written by this man named Solomon. Solomon was uh, a king of Israel. He was David's son. You probably have heard of King David. He's got a star named after him. David has a lot of famous things named after him. Um, David is the greatest king in the history of Israel. David was the guy who like, established the kingdom. David was the guy um, who made it so that God's people really could settle and have a place to live. Uh, David was the guy that kicked butt. Solomon is David's son. He was the successor to the throne. When Solomon became king, he was in a position where all of the battles had been fought and won. Um, all the money was theirs to begin with. They didn't need to do anything. So when Solomon became king, he got to ask God for something. And whereas most new kings would ask for more power, or most new kings would ask um, for military victories, or most new kings would ask for... for um, like for riches or for women or for whatever the case, what Solomon asked for was wisdom. Because he wanted to lead his people well. That was the most important thing, to lead his people well. And he wanted to do that so that he could serve God well and so that the nation could serve God well, knowing the difference between good and evil. God was so impressed with this request that he didn't just give Solomon some wisdom, but he gave Solomon like, the most wisdom. And Solomon became really the wisest person in the world back then. People would travel from across the globe. Um, leaders of other lands would come just to hear from Solomon, to sit in Solomon's wisdom. Um, and that's kind of where Solomon came from. And that's, that's where the book of Proverbs comes from. It's wisdom that's really directly from God himself. The issue for Solomon, it's the same issue that you and I have. It's that Solomon is a human being, Right? And we learned this last week, knowing what to do, believing what's right to do, um, feeling what's right to do, wanting to do the right thing, it's all good. But if you don't do the right thing, we're just fooling ourselves. Solomon had the answers, all the wisdom, but his life didn't bear it out. If you look at his life, you can look at that and say, oh, that's what we don't do. Because as soon as Solomon turned away from the sort of um, wisdom that God gave him, as soon as Solomon turned away from doing the kinds of things that God wanted him to do, it all fell apart. Like, he fell apart, his family fell apart, the kingdom of God uh, there in Israel, it fell apart. Yet we are wise to learn from what Solomon has to say. And so we're going to look at one sentence from the book of Proverbs this morning. It's just a few words, and so we're going to kind of chop it up and make a big deal out of those few words. Um, in, this, in this passage, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see uh, two different kinds of people faced with the same problem, faced with the same uh, traffic ahead, right? Faced with the same thing, but they have two different responses. 
And so they have two vastly different outcomes. All right? So here is how the proverb begins. And it's just two words, the prudent. Now, the prudent, uh, that's a word that we don't use very much anymore, prudent. Um, it just means wise. Prudent means wise. When I think of prudent, I think of the old Saturday Night Live bit where uh, Dana Carvey is doing George H.W. Bush, right? Wouldn't be prudent. That's where I get it from. Um, in our kind of context today, the word prudent shows up in a different way, and it has a really negative connotation to it. And if you're in high school or like that range, I bet you know this, um, it's the word prude, right? Like when the girl didn't want to do the thing that all the guys wanted the girl to do, right? She was labeled a prude. And a prude, like, that was a bad thing. She was a prude, right? She wouldn't allow the guys to do In the eyes of the parents, though, in the eyes of mom and dad, what was the girl? She was wise. She was exceedingly wise. Not to let these handsy high school boys go exploring, right? We're getting real here at Park Church this morning. That's what it means to be prudent. That's what it means to be wise. In this context, though, this is important. In this context, what Solomon is talking about is um, wise people know that what you do now, here we go again, what you do now matters for the future. That what you do now is not, does not just impact now, but it impacts uh, what happens next, what happens later. It impacts not only you, but it impacts other people. Wise people know that there's no such thing as an isolated incident. There's no such thing as an isolated moment. Wise people know, and listen, that what you do in the present, your decisions, your actions, what you do now, that eventually becomes the past. Wise people know that the past always shows up in the future. The past always shows up in the future. That that is, what, that is what, wise, that's what wise people know. Funny example, right? You're 21 years old. You're in the best shape of your life. Maybe you had a little too much to drink that night. You got a tattoo, right? In the moment, makes sense, right? In the moment, it's wise. That then becomes something you did in the past when you were 21. And then when you're 41 or you're 51 or you're 61, that tattoo doesn't quite work out the way that you hope it did, right? Um, what happens, what you do in the present becomes the past, and that shows up in the future. More serious example, right? You're in a fight with your spouse. You're in a fight with your wife, and you have the word to say. You have that thing that you can just get them with. And you have a momentary lapse in prudence, and out it comes, and once it's out there, you can't take it back. Um, once it's out there, and then it's out there, and it's hanging over, and it becomes something that you said that one time. And that always is hanging over the rest of your relationship. And you're thinking to yourself while you're having this fight, is this what he's actually thinking about me? Is this what she's actually thinking about me? What you say in the moment becomes something you said in the past, and it hangs over you in the future. It always, it always shows up. It always shows up in the future. The prudent know this. And so what the prudent do is they don't just act in the moment, but they look forward. They look ahead, and when they look ahead, when the prudent look ahead, this is what they see. They see danger. They perceive that there's something out there that's coming that's dangerous. And when it comes to the parkway image, this is one of my, um, this is a bad image for me, because I love driving. I love driving fast. 
Although I do believe the point of driving is to get from point A to point B as fast as you possibly can, right? So for me, this parkway image is a little lost on me. Um, I, am, I am the guy who wants to go on the parkway because when I go on the parkway, I can go 90. Like, I know how to do that, and I can get there. Um, and so I see the sign that says, massive delays ahead, get off now. And I think to myself, well, I'm going 85 right now, so I'm good. Like, I am predisposed, I am biased towards staying on the parkway. And so I will blow past the traffic sign, and I'll stay there because I know I want to be on the parkway. What this is called, this is called confirmation bias. This is the sociological idea that um, we have a tendency to see what we want in something when we want to see it there, right? So when you're watching the baseball game and your team's up, those borderline pitches, they all look like balls to you. But when the other team is up, those are strikes and you get met. That's confirmation bias. You see what you want to see. Um, another example, when someone who you like does something you don't like, we are all sorts of, we have excuses for that. Oh, it's okay, I can understand how that would happen. Makes sense to me, no problem. When someone who you don't like does something you don't like, you just, right, we hammer them on it, right? That's, that's, what, that's what confirmation bias is. Wise people know this. And wise people don't let their confirmation bias cloud their judgment when it comes to red flags. They are willing to see what they don't want to really see and hear what they don't want to hear and admit and acknowledge what they, don't, what they don't want to admit and acknowledge. It's why the first step in all of the 12-step programs, as I understand it, um, is, to admit, is to admit where you're helpless, admit where you have a problem. It's super wise to admit that you are powerless over this thing that has power over you. That's the first step in wisdom. So given that, how wise do you count yourself? Are you willing to see the red flags? Are you willing to hear them, to admit the danger that they warn you about? Are you willing to hear it from someone else? Are you willing to admit that, gosh, if I admit this red flag here, what that means over here is something I'm not comfortable with, and that's dangerous, and that's scary, and I don't know if I want to go there. Wise people see those red flags, and they admit the danger ahead. And listen, then they respond accordingly. Then they act accordingly. They don't just see it and ignore it. They see it, and they do something about it. And what they do, Solomon tells us, is they take refuge. Another translation is, um, they run and hide. Wise people see danger over there, and they take refuge in the safety of another way forward. They take safety in the refuge of, of going off the exit and going in the back roads that maybe you don't quite know. And maybe it might take a little longer if there's no traffic, but they take refuge in going the other way. They don't pretend that the danger isn't actually dangerous. They respond appropriately. But... Solomon says, but the simple, and this is the other group of people, but the simple, and this is people who are not prudent. This is people who are not wise. These are the dumb, the foolish. The simple sees the heavy delays ahead and just blows right through it because they're thinking, I'm going 85. That's me when I'm driving. I am extraordinarily simple, right? Get to where I'm going as fast as I can, no questions asked. 
Whereas the prudent know that the present becomes the past and it, it shows up in the future. Um, the simple just know that the present is like kind of cool. The present just feels good. They don't have a sense that it, that it matters for the future. This is lost on the simple. And when I think of the simple, do you know who I think of immediately? That guy in the back corner. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> I was just kidding. I think of Homer Simpson when I think of the simple, right? I don't know if you watch The Simpsons. I don't know if that's a thing that you do. Um, I do. I have a few lenses, a few filters in my head and in my, and in my mouth. Um, I have the ability to speak through the filter of The Simpsons at all times. So I could speak to you uh, just in Simpsons quotes this entire time, but I have to turn that filter off to be able to speak to you. Um, so The Simpsons speaks to me. It might not speak to you, but here we go anyway. If you know Homer Simpson, he's like the big fat dad who is just the epitome of simple. He so lives in the moment that he never quite considers that what he does matters or it has implications for outside of the moment. A few examples of this. That time he was eating the big sandwich, right? There's a time he's eating a big sandwich. It's like a 12-foot sub or something, and he wants to eat the whole thing, and the mayonnaise has started to turn, and it makes him feel bad. He gets violently ill. Marge, his wife, throws it away. He sees it in the garbage, and he goes for it because he loves that sandwich. The sandwich makes him feel good in the moment, not realizing that it makes him really sick otherwise. Another one, he drinks too much. His liver says to him, you got to stop. you got to stop. you got to stop. He punches his liver and says, shut up, liver. Uh, countless stories of his brain talking to him like, as he's walking into a door because he's ignoring his brain, right? The most famous and I think like, um, just perfect example of this is there's an episode where he is forced to go back to college. <laughs> this is our Simpsons crew over here. You can kind of tell where they sit. Um, uh, he's forced to go back to college. He needs to pass a course in nuclear physics. Right? And Homer is not a smart guy, so he is totally just bombing the course. He can't do it. Towards the end of the course, um, one of the nerds who's helping tutor him asks him, like, Mr. Simpson, how are you going to pass this final? You need to pass it. How are you going to pass it? And he says, I'm just going to hide under a pile of coats and hope that everything works out. <laughs> right? I, I wanted to introduce that into our vernacular so that we can use that going forward. Um, I want to hide under a pile of coats and hope that everything works out. That's the simple. The simple say things like, I know there's danger ahead, but if I bury my head in the sand, if I hide under a pile of coats, somehow it'll work out. The simple say things like, um, I know it's dangerous, but yeah, nothing's, nothing bad's going to happen. The simple say things like, I know that there's danger up ahead. I know that the science says there's traffic, but because I'm not experiencing it that now, it's so far in advance. It's so far out there. I don't think I actually have to worry. I don't think I actually worry about that. Or, or the simple see the sign. And because they've so bought in to their confirmation bias, when it says heavy delays ahead, what they read is stay the course. You're doing super, right? Uh, that's, that's, what, that's what the simple do. And we all know people like this. I mean, you might be the person who's like this. It's easier to see in other people, harder to see in ourselves. But if you ever tried to point out danger to someone and said, hey, if you keep doing that, if you keep going in that way, things aren't going to work well for you, right? If you keep playing with fire, eventually, eventually you're going to get burned. If you keep spending like that, things are not going to work for you. If you keep skimping out on your job like that, you are not going to work. Um, 
in the words of a pastor who I like, we all know people who have seen the danger, have seen the warning signs, and they bought it anyway, right? They leased it anyway. They drank it anyway. They dated it anyway. They married it anyway. And if the prudent see danger and take refuge, what do the simple do? The simple just keep going. They see the sign. They see the red flag, and they just blow right through it. They don't get off at the exit. And what happens when you don't get off at the exit? You get stuck in traffic. You get stopped in gridlock. Eventually, the present decision, the present action, becomes a past reality that makes it so that the future is too late to change. We all get to a point where there's just no going back, right? Once we miss that exit, we miss the exit. And what happens when we miss the exit? We pay the penalty. And I bet you know what Solomon means by this. This is hard. This is challenging. Um, this is painful. This is convicting. But this is also a warning for you. Right? The affair, it's too late to start working on your marriage. You have to pay that penalty. Fired is too late to get your act together and get there on time and do the work your boss said. You've been fired. You have to pay that penalty. Lung cancer, it's too late to stop smoking. Debt up to your ears, it's too late to work on a budget. Right? 65, too late to start uh, saving for retirement, to open your 401k. Failing out of college, too late to start partying, uh, to stop partying <laughs> and to get back to work. <laughs> when you've burned your bridges, when you've flung the words that you shouldn't have flung, when you've fired your shots, when you've buried your relationships, it's too late to get your heart turned around on that. It's too late to get your head and your attitude turned around, and you're paying the price for it. You should have done that before the exit. You should have gotten off. At the, you should have taken the other route to get there. But the simple keep going, and they pay the penalty. Another translation, they suffer because of it. It's important to note here, we are not talking about divine punishment. We're not talking about God punishing you. That's a totally different thing that's a totally different thing altogether. We're not talking about God punishing you. But the fact is, this is something that we do. This is something that simple people do, actually. They ignore the warning signs. They blow through the red flags. They keep going. They pay the penalty. They suffer because of it. And then when things don't work out, they turn around and they blame God. They blame God as if it's God's fault. When the whole time God is saying, red flag, red flag, red flag, they blame God. That's what, uh, that's what simple people do. The truth is, with God, there is never too late. The truth is, with God, his grace, his mercy, his love, his compassion, his kindness is always there for you, always available for you. All you need to do is reach out and take it. But this is not that. We're talking about something different. This is on us. This is cause and effect. Ignore the red flags, pay the penalty. And I know that for some of you, this is not a very hard thing to convince you of. You're paying the penalty now. You've paid it for a long time. As a pastor, I get to talk to people and hear from people and hear things like, if I only knew now what I knew then, I wouldn't be in the mess I'm in now. Right? I get to hear things like, 
Why didn't anyone tell me? I am telling you now. I mean, God is telling you now. If you see a red flag, if you see the warning sign, get off at this exit and find another way, find another way to get there. Heed the warning and take refuge. This is what prudent people do. But the simple keep going and head right into the beast of shore traffic. So let's get back to you and your red flags. How are the red flags feeling? How are they going for you? I'm sure throughout this, you've heard about the red flags, you've heard about the danger, you've heard about the penalty. Maybe a red flag has popped up in your mind. If you haven't had a red flag pop up in your mind, if you haven't noticed a warning sign, here's two things, here's three things to do, all right? The first is look again. Stop and look again. Look inside of your life. Look at your heart, look at your mind, look at your relationships, look at the way that you impact the world around you. Um, Look again for the red flags. Ask yourself a question like this. What am I pretending not to know? What am I pretending exists that doesn't actually exist? Or what am I pretending doesn't exist that does actually exist? Or think to yourself, uh, how did I get myself into the trouble I'm in now, into the mess I'm in now? What red flags did I miss then? There's a good chance you're missing those red flags now. I, I dare you to do that. The second thing, and I double dare to do this, Ask someone who's close to you. Ask your wife. Ask your husband. Ask your best friend. If you're old enough, um, ask your children. If you're young enough, ask your parents. Ask them to tell you, help me see where I can't see where I'm headed into danger, but you might be able to see it because you have a different perspective. You're more objective. You haven't bought into what I'm selling, right? Um, does this, is this hard and awkward? Of course it is. Is this... Um, is this something that takes humility? It takes all kinds of humility. Is it worth it, though? If you have paid the price for missing red flags before, you know how worth it this sort of thing is. It's no wonder that the very next proverb um, is 22.4, and in it, Solomon says, uh, it's the humble. It's those who listen to God who are rewarded with riches and honor and life. Don't be too proud uh, to not ask people, show me the red flags. Be humble in that regard. And the third thing to do, and I triple dog dare you, this is the coup de grace of dares. Um, (laughs) Ask God. Ask God to show you what the red flags are. But warning, like he will show you. But ask God to show you, ask God to show you what the red flags are. Ask God to make them a little bit bigger. Ask God to make them a little more red a little bit more in your face, a little bit more flashing so that you could see them. Because listen, wise people want to see the red flags. Because wise people don't want to drive straight into traffic. If there's another way, they want to go that way because wise people don't want uh, pain that's unnecessary. They don't want danger that's unnecessary or gridlock. So I bet you know at least one in your life. They're not all as obvious as a big sign that's flashing. Get off here, get off here. Um, but some of them are, right? If you keep getting texts from the bank, that's a, that's a pretty obvious one. If all your friends are saying it, that's a pretty obvious one. Maybe it's time to change that relationship. But sometimes they're not so obvious. Sometimes they're a lot more nuanced. Sometimes they're really just like feelings that you have, right? Like I kind of feel in this moment, 
I feel that my relationship with my wife, or with my husband, or with my, my mom, or my brother, I feel like, or with my job, or with um, the people who I'm friends, I feel like it's not going right. I feel like if we keep going in the direction that we're going now, things are not going to end well here. But I don't quite know what to do. What do I do now? Or maybe you're in a situation where you look at your son, you look at your daughter, and you say, gosh, I love them, and they are suffering. Things aren't working well. Things aren't happening. Like, everything they do is, is it between her and me? Is it between um, whose fault is, like, what's going on? I could just imagine now the call from the jail cell, right? I can imagine now the call from the hospital. I I can imagine now the call from the other parent that's like, hey, do you know what your son just did? Right? But I don't know what to do about it. So what do I do about it? Or maybe you're in a situation, and only you know this, and you're saying to yourself, inside of my heart, things are not right. My emotions, my attitude, my thoughts, my mind, like, Nothing is working. I am struggling through everything. Everything, like, things are not working right. I know I should get some sort of help. I know that's probably something that I need right now, but it's too hard to get into that. I'm too afraid to get into that. Um, So I just keep going into traffic. I don't know what to do. What do I do? This is where I want to share with you um, the question that is just the right question to ask, regardless of the situation regardless of the change that's facing you, regardless of what you feel like you have to do, this is always the right question to ask. I can't think of a time where this is the wrong question. And here's the question. It's what's the wise thing to do? This is what this proverb is begging us to ask. What's the wise thing to do? It's not the same thing as what's a good thing to do here or considering all my options, weighing them all, what's most advantageous for me? That's not the same thing as the wise thing. It's not even the same thing as what's the right thing to do. It's what's the wise thing to do. The problem is um, what we usually come out of, what we usually ask, and we don't even ask it, we just act on it, is like what's the easy thing to do, right? Or what's the fun thing to do? Or what's the quick thing to do? Because I don't like feeling the way I'm feeling right now. What's the feel-good thing to do? But the problem with asking that question and living out of that question is that feel-good now doesn't feel good later, right? It feels good to do the thing with the girl without the thing. But nine months later, that might not feel so good. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> putting that one together. Um, it feels good. It feels good to have that one more drink at the bar, right? feels good. It doesn't feel so good when your car is, like, wrapped around a tree or a pole, right? It feels good to buy... I heard a story just this week of a guy who um, he wanted to impress the girl he was dating, and so he bought a 10-day trip to Hawaii, put it all on his credit card. He has no ability to pay for this trip, but it feels good to be with a girl in Hawaii for 10 days, right? It feels good to have the nicest thing. It feels good to do that. It doesn't feel so good when the credit card bill comes, and when you can't pay it, and when that debt cripples you and your opportunities going forward. What's the wise thing to do? Because wise people know that what you do now matters for how you will do later, and so wise people have learned to think and to uh, ask and to act in light of what's to come. And so wise people will say, in light of where I want this relationship to go, what's the wise thing to do now? 
in light of where I want my career to go, what's the wise thing to do now? In light of the kind of person I want my son to be when he grows up, what's the wise, what's the wise thing to do now? If you're not thinking along these lines, start thinking along these lines. If you're thinking along the lines of what's the fun thing, what's the easy thing, what's the feel-good thing, that's going to end up in a traffic jam down the road. Ask what's the wise thing to do. Ask yourself, ask your people, ask God. And now is better than later. Because now will make later better. Avoid the traffic if you can. That's the question that we want to ask this morning. What's the wise thing to do? Um, But it's not just asking the question. It's not having the knowledge. It's not knowing that actually matters as much as doing is what's matter. So what's the response that we ought to take? It's responding that matters. And the response that this proverb calls us to take is that wise people see danger and they take refuge. And... Solomon doesn't say it here, but we know this from Solomon's life and from his history. He means take refuge in God. He means take refuge in the one who is in charge of the universe. He means take refuge in the ways of God. Not in your own way, but in the ways that God says for you. Take refuge in God's wisdom. The way that the New Testament talks about God's wisdom is not in terms of like um, ideas as much as it is in terms of a person. Uh, the New Testament refers to Jesus as God's wisdom. Jesus as God's word, as God's logic towards the world. And so what this uh, means for us today, this morning, is wise people take refuge in Jesus. And so take refuge in him. If this is not something that you've ever done, now's the time. Take refuge in him. Take all of your red flags. Take the warning signs, the danger ahead, and go to him with it. Go to him and say, Jesus, I need you to help me here. What's the wise thing to do, and how do I do it? Give me the humility I need to see it. Give me the wisdom I need to see it, the strength, the means to do it, the help to get there. That traffic jam up ahead, it is simply too large. I can't, I can't figure it out. The detour I'm called to take, I'm too uncomfortable with it. I'm too scared of it. It's too unknown. I need your help to get through it. Say to him, Jesus, I missed the exit. I am the traffic jam. I am the 10-car pileup. I need your help to get through this. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need, I need your forgiveness. I need your strength because I have none. I need your refuge because I can't find a place to hide. I need your home because I feel homeless. I need your peace because I am without it. I need your life because without you, I am lifeless. And Jesus is faithful to help you, to carry you through, to get you there. This is exactly what Jesus calls for us to do. He invites us to do this. When he says to each and every one of us, if you are weary, if you are carrying heavy burdens... If the red flags have overwhelmed you, if the traffic jam is too much for you, if you are in disaster, come to me and I will give you rest. Cast your anxiety, cast your burdens on me and I will give you rest because I love you. And that's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus invites us to this morning and every morning. And when we do what he says, when we listen to him and not just think good about it, but when we do it, that's what we hit on last week. When we do that, we will find ourselves building a house on his foundation that is unshakable, it's unsinkable, 
and it will last. So stop going your own way and instead listen to Jesus and go his way. His way goes around the red. It goes around the traffic. Stop going your way because your way might end up in disaster, but his way will end up uh, in his refuge. You will find peace and rest there. If you do it now, it will matter for how you do it later. Sometimes the change that faces us, um, we need to be prepared for it. But sometimes there's change that we need to make now. That will in order us, that will allow us just to face it as it goes forward. To avoid the danger ahead that is facing us, us otherwise. So this morning, my invitation to you, pay attention to the red flags. Hear it. Listen to it, uh, um, respect it, and take refuge in Jesus instead. I'm going to invite the musicians up forward, and they are going to uh, lead us in a song that we've done around here at Park Church for a very, very long time. Um, It's a song that is really more of a prayer to Jesus than it is anything else, and it calls us to take um, refuge in him to find our home in him when we have none, to find safety in him when we're surrounded by danger, um, to hide us in the shadow of his wing. It's a song that's really a prayer to Jesus to ask him to be the savior of our souls. And so this morning, if that's something that you've never prayed, we invite you to sing this song, not as singing to words or not as singing to the band or up here. Sing it to Jesus. Sing it to Jesus and say, I need you to be the savior of my soul because right now I don't feel like I have one. Sing it to Jesus and say, right now I need your safety because I don't feel safe. I need, um, I need a home because I'm homeless. I need you to cover me and be the savior of my soul. So uh, we're going to pray and then the band is going to lead us in that song. Really lead us in that prayer. We invite you to pray that and sing that with us this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the way it surprises us, for the way it challenges us, for the way it makes us um, live life differently and think differently and do differently because of you. God, we thank you that with you there is never too late, that your grace is always for us, your mercy is always for us. But we know in life there are things where it just gets too late. When we avoid the when we miss the red flags, we miss those warning signs, when we avoid admitting it, when we don't get off at the exit we should have gotten off at, God, we know it could get too late sometimes. And so we pray for us that you would give us wisdom to see those red flags. Help us to know them and to see them and to take heed. Give us courage to take heed of those warning signs. Lord, sometimes the other way, the detour, is more scary or it might take longer or it might be more difficult in some ways for a while. Give us the courage to take those ways. Lord, give us the courage to actually listen to you and follow you and to walk in your footsteps the path that you have tread for us so that we can take refuge in you. And we pray this morning, Jesus, that you would show yourself to us so that we can um, entrust ourselves to you knowing that you love us that you are the savior of our souls, that you are our home and our safety and our refuge. And in your name, we pray these things. Amen.